I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner, front and center this hour, the return of the bull market, at least technically. But is it really back? We'll debate that with the investment committee. The S&P 500 now 20% off the October lows. Joining me for the hour today, Joe Terranova, Stephanie Link, Bill Baruch, and Capital Wealth Planning's Kevin Simpson is with us for the hour today as well. Let's check the markets. We do have fresh highs of the year. At least we did earlier. But as you can see, as Carl was just saying, we did back off 4,300. We're going for the first close above that level since August. So we did exit the longest Joe technical bear market since 1948. So technically, we say, okay, we're in a new bull market. But are we really? Well, it's a milestone, and it's technically driven. So you asked why I will not say it's fundamentally driven, and the bond market is not confirming it. So there's this divergence between what we're seeing reflected in the equity market and what we're seeing in the bond market. The bond market yields have backed up, Scott, and they've stayed there. Now, I understand Australia, Canada has raised interest rates, but think of where we were for a two-year just in early May, we're, we're basically 100 basis points higher. And if you look at a 10-year, you're up about 75 basis points. So we're void of significant growth. That's for sure. We're still in an earnings recession. So we still in a, oh, So what you're telling me is you're not convinced we're actually in a bull market. Well, I'm giving you the reasons why. Yeah, I know. You you're can, taking you a long time only, to get to my answer, You right? could only validate. You could only say this that. This is a yes or no question. No, but, no, but you have to understand why. You have to understand why it's just concentrated to the technicals. The fundamentals are not confirming it. So I'll say this to you. It's a nice milestone. That's it. Okay. That's all it is. All right. So, Steph, um, the question over the last couple of days is, are the bulls in charge again? Mm-hmm. Or do the bears still have control of this market? How would you answer that question? Well, there's parts of the market that are in a bull market, right? Technology, comm services, discretionary. The the SMH is up 45%. That's definitely bull market stuff, right? That's positive. The rest of the market is is struggling. And that's what we've been talking about all year. That's been the biggest surprise at how narrow the market has been. But when you add up comm services and technologies, 35% of the the, the S&P 500. So it's material. It's gotten us to where we are in the market overall. But I think because the economy is actually doing a little bit better, I think eventually we are going to see a broadening out and the laggards will catch up, especially if we are, as I keep saying, the ninth inning with the Fed. Inflation is coming down and earnings have actually held in not as bad as expected. So I think you are going to see a broadening. Does that lead us into a huge bull market? I don't I don't know, because there is alternatives out there right now in the fixed income arena, as well as internationally. So I hear a no. I hear a no. Like a maybe. Like a yeah, maybe know, parts. That doesn't work that with doesn't work. Yeah, but it's parts. It's parts that of the market. Yeah, I know, but especially on a Friday, it doesn't work either. <laughs> it's fun sitting here and talking about whether it's a bull market or a, or a bear market still. But but do you really want to be buying stocks and really loading into stocks when it's finally officially a bull market? And for for us, it's it's looking back at, at March. At the end of March, we started seeing these divergences, and our theme was bring out your 2019 playbook, and tech is going to lead us out of this hole. So for us, in in our positioning and our mindset, it's been a bull market. What what happened? 
from last week was the Russell 2000. It's up about six, six and a half percent since then. You're getting the breadth. You're getting other parts of this market to start to join. And the Russell 2000 really broke out of that hole. And for us, that turns on the green light for some of the other portions of the market. We've begun rotating a bit. Still, though, I'm watching very closely. I trade the futures as well. The S&P futures, 4,300 to 4,330. We need to close above there on a weekly basis. We have not done that yet. All right. So, Kevin Simpson, it's great to have you here uh, for the hour. You're a pretty active trader. So you bring good perspective, um, good tactical perspective, too. How would you answer the question? Savita Subramanian, Bank of America today, says bye-bye, Bear. Being underinvested in stocks and cyclicals is still the key risk. What do you think? Well, that's the risk to the upside. So as an equity manager, we're always in the market, Scott. But my feeling is we're not in a bull market just yet. You've got five, six, eight, maybe nine stocks that have been leading it. But last Thursday was the first time we saw breath actually take place and, and be a sustainable difference in the trade. So we're not talking about just those handful of names. And here we are a week into it, and we haven't seen a divergence away from it. So the best thing that could happen is that we're having this conversation a few months from now. We're all giving you a yes. And the rest of the market, everything but those five, six, seven, eight stocks are catching up. But to you it. need to wait a couple of months to see if, if that broadening of the rally is legit before you're ready to suggest that the bulls are in charge again for the yeah. first time in quite some time? Yeah, absolutely. I think the Fed has to be done raising rates before we can be in a real sustainable moment. But don't we anticipate when they are going to be done, the, by the time you get the official all clear, the market's already moved so significantly ahead of you, hasn't it? Yeah, absolutely. You have to be in the market before that. But Canada said they were done. Australia said they were done. Not that we follow those markets that closely. We'll probably get a pause next week. We'll get into it, I'm sure, a little bit more in detail. But I'm not sure that the Fed here is done yet. And until they are, it's going to be tough for me to validate that we're in a bull market. I mean, Steph Barclays today says, yeah, that the technicals are a bit frothy, uh, but tentative broadening of leadership into lagging small caps in value may help sustain the breakout. I hope so. All predicated <laughs> on the fact of whether that broadening can continue. If not, you're going to be kind of in the same place that, that you've been. Right. Well, that's why we look at the economic data points and, and how that translates into earnings, right, and and how it translates into total revenues. So the, the Atlanta Fed GDP now is at 2.2% for GDP for the quarter, which is stronger than what most people thought. And that's equivalent to about a 5 6 7% growth rate in total revenues for the S&P 500. People aren't expecting that. People are expecting about 2%. So if it's only the technology company that are keeping us afloat. That's a problem, I think. But as I said, I think the data that we're getting supports some of these other sectors and evaluations on some of these lagging sectors is really very compelling. And to the points made earlier, we are seeing a little bit of a broadening last Friday and then on Tuesday. That's all we got. The well, rest, of the, the rest couple, of the week we had we had growth outperforming. So we had we'll a see. couple of ridiculously powerful days for the Russell 2000 that, you know, I, I, I almost say there are too strong to be believable that that it could be sustainable. We had a couple of days where the Russell was like, like, what did you say, six percent in a yeah. couple of days? Yeah, it felt like. Yeah, no, I mean, like right that now, feel like a little exuberant. I mean, a, a little bit. But as I say, I mean, the valuations on the laggards, especially when if I feel comf confident in the earnings picture, right? If I don't feel confident in the earnings picture, then that's a problem. But I do feel confident in the financials in, the, in terms of earnings, in industrials, in earnings and in guidance from the industrials and even in energy and the free cash flow that we're seeing and the, the cash that's going to shareholders. I say, so I see value in those sectors. I'm not saying the tech is going to roll over and roll over hard. 
I think tech can continue to participate, but I think these others should outperform yeah, but the, going the, forward. The idea, though, that, Joe, that let's just say <clears throat> tech rolls over in, in, any, in any way, do you really believe that these other parts of the market are going to pick up the slack? Given the still unknown questions about the path of the economy and what the Fed's already done, yeah, they may take June off, probably will, we think, but that doesn't mean they're fully done. No, it has to be confirmed in, in future earnings, and I think that's what's important. Uh, to Stephanie's point, month-to-date energy materials, they're both up 5 and 6% respectively. Um, do, I, do I think that move has sustainability to the upside? Not without confirmation in future earnings. Um, industrials, that's the one sector where I do think there is strength, there is earning strength that, that reflects it as well. But if you see technology plateau, I'm not sure you're going to get the type of leadership from other areas of the market that will be able to carry price further higher. Kevin Simpson, in terms of sort of beating up cyclical plays, uh, you have a new position in Coca-Cola. Uh, stock hasn't really done anything, right? So tell me the thought process about why you bought Coca-Cola here. Uh, AI, right? It's an AI play? You beat me to the punch. I, I figured they were going to say it 700 times in their <laughs> earnings call. Yeah. Uh, the stock was trading over $65 a month ago, and we had very little interest in the name. But as you get this hype and everything's going towards technologies, we, we look in the other direction. So here's a stock 10 11% down from that high in 30 days. You're getting over a 3% dividend. They've been raising that dividend by 4 or 5% a year pretty consistently. Amazing free cash flow. Just a, just a really well-run company. The multiples on everything, I think, are still a little bit high. So we're taking a small position in it. We're getting started here. If it goes down, we'll certainly add to it. But I like the name. I like the safety trade. Yeah. Steph, you follow Coca-Cola and Pepsi. You own Pepsi, don't you? No. You used I don't to? own either. No, Coke is the one that I that I used to own, and I like it a lot. It's, Why don't you really, own it then? It's really, it's an international play, right? I mean, so you would get the juice if you do see, if we ever get China to recover. But globally, if we see better growth, remains to be seen. But they have about 80% of their revenues tied to overseas. For me, no, I, I don't own them. I, I don't own either of them. They are a little expensive, but I do own Procter & Gamble, which is also expensive. So you kind of pick your poison, right? And, and I just think that there's more operating leverage at Procter & Gamble, given the cost overhangs that they've had, uh, and also the labor issues, as well as input costs being really high. I think all that's going to come down, and it'll, it'll help the bottom line. So on the, on the issue of the PE, 23 and a half as we see forward, how do you judge that? Yeah, it's too high. But I think that, that if the stock pulls down, we'll be okay, or the earnings can grow into it. We own Procter & Gamble also, so we're really trying to look at this from a bigger perspective and say, where, where can we find value? Where can we generate revenues? And, you know, for us, it's all about dividends and dividend growth. So we've got very, very high-quality names. We've still got dry powder to go into them. Procter & Gamble is a full position. Coke is a new position. I think the valuation is, is going to compress, and you're seeing price bring both Coca-Cola and Pepsi down. I know Pepsi more than I know Coca-Cola. Uh, Pepsi is in the Joe T ETF. It's a name that we've owned for quite some time. And you are seeing that there finally has been a pullback in what was positive momentum. But, but overall, beverage has been strong. And if you want to extrapolate that further and look at energy drinks, you could pull up Monster Beverage, which is certainly <laughs> broken out significantly. And that's a, a consumer staple name that you could play within the sector if you don't want Coca-Cola or Pepsi. So, you know, I just want to make sure everybody's clear, too. You're a five-star fund manager. You manage the dividend income um, ETF, right, the, the Devo. Um, how are you viewing dividend strategies right now 
in the overall market relative to where interest rates are, where they might go from here. I just want to make sure everybody's clear with what you do for a living, um, that you are a five-star fund manager and that you do manage a very narrow strategy of dividend and income, correct? Yeah, I do, Scott. But, you know, if you think of the dividend space, it's a hard place to be for the past year and a half to two years, because when you've got tech names, megatech, AI moving the markets, everything else on the planet is pretty much just staying around the Mendoza line. So what we try to do in periods of flat markets, and but it's not that dissimilar than 2015, is we're trying to clip coupons. We're trying to generate dividends. We want dividend growth. We sprinkle in some covered call writing. But you asked a great question when you talk about it in relation to interest rates, because it was a no-brainer for 12 years. When you have zero interest rates, you can buy anything. But you, need to get, you need to get yield and, and income from somewhere, right? Yep. So yep. I think dividend growth really separates itself from high dividend, deep value, sometimes zombie-type stocks, where we can get a little bit of growth, strong dividends, dividend growth. And if, as long as their EBITDA, as long as their earnings go higher, you can get some appreciation as well. Is, is it hard, though, to, in some respects, sort of, you know, for lack of a better description, watch the train go by in mega cap tech when you've got the magnificent seven, most of whom don't pay a dividend. So they're they're not going to be a touch for you. Yeah, our Quotron doesn't get the NASDAQ. We only get a limited number of symbols. So I didn't know. Is NVIDIA up this year? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, not Apple pays a dividend. <laughs> we I mean, you own Apple. Yeah, we own Apple. We own Microsoft. So we get a little bit of a taste in there. We have a 5% maximum position weighting, so we can't get crazy within the space. But boy, it feels good to own Apple and own Microsoft when you see all those things happening. Does it feel like those stocks to you have more runway? Do, do they feel like they've traveled too far? How do you view that? Yeah, I think that they're, they're a little ahead of their skis. I think they've come too far too fast. We've been trimming both positions. We've been writing calls against them. We're not going to sell out of them because, to Joe's point, they can grow into those multiples. We've seen it before. And any time a market gets behind a trade, if we get any type of enthusiasm, the rest of the breath of the market will pick up. But we need to bypass a recession. And if that happens and we start thinking about lower rates, I mean, the, the train's going to leave the station. Talk about um, high growth prospects, no dividend, Tesla, right? Leads me to, it's like, what are we up, 11 straight days? You had the GM announcement, obviously, with the charging stations. You had Ford before that. The stock's taking another big leap today. It's our chart of the day for obvious reasons. Uh, the other reason is that Bill Baruch, you bought it. I did. Yeah, yeah we, it's been on my radar for a bit. And, and when I look at a stock, I look at a name, I'm looking really top down, and meaning I'm looking at the fundamentals from you, the macro picture. And you are, you are looking top down if you bought it up 100%. <laughs> well, where does the air kind of thin up there where you're looking? Well, where's the cash coming from? We, we trimmed Microsoft and Alphabet, which were very overweight. NVIDIA was our largest position for a lot of the year. So we're really just rotating here. But what I've been noticing from a macro standpoint is, is Copper and Tesla have really overlapped each other quite, quite a bit. They track each other a bit, and there's a divergence recently with copper selling off. And copper is, it gives you a really good feeling on what's going on in China. And it, because 20%, more than just more than 20% of Tesla's revenues come from China. Elon Musk, by the way, was over in Asia making a, a, a trip. So I think there was some, some good momentum coming out of that. Um, but on top of that, one of our theories was, was some of the tech is going to lead us out of the hole. And once AI really starts generating the momentum, I think Tesla is going to be in a really great uh, place to capitalize on that. So those are the bigger, broader themes that, that brought me to this shift. But then 
I'm a, I am now, I've been listening to Kathy Wood talk a bit and more and more, and I'm a believer in a lot of what she's saying and how software, and now we're seeing with the charging stations, the ecosystem that Tesla has built is, is unmatched. And then there, to finish it off, there's a massive technical breakout, downtrend line, getting above a 382 retracement, and there's some momentum behind that. So, so we moved Tesla, we bought it on Wednesday initially, opened the position the first time we've owned it in, in, in portfolios, added again to yesterday, it's now a top 10 position. How do you get around 71 times earnings and 45 times EV to EBITDA? I, I, don't, I don't argue with that, but where's our cash coming from that's going to fund this position? And that's coming from names that we've trimmed that are up quite a bit this year, like a Microsoft, right. an Alphabet, and NVIDIA. I mean, I think in fairness, too, though, step to your question, I mean, if you, you're never going to buy Tesla and say valuations, well, great. I'm just trying to get my hands around it. I mean, yeah. is it well, some of the Well, I am, to too. I am, too, for somebody who sold NVIDIA because of the incredible run and, you know. It became too big in our portfolio, NVIDIA, ultimately. Nice yeah, call. I know, but that cannot be the only reason that you got rid of it. I'm not going to let you slide that easily. No way. No way. Do, well, you didn't have a problem with the, the valuation of NVIDIA at all? You know, the, it's something we're aware of. Um, we're just over 20% in semiconductors in, in general. So, so AMD, NVIDIA, uh, we do have exposure in Microns, one of our top positions, which hasn't done so well, uh, Broadcom, and, and as well, uh, Marvell. So we own, we own those names, and we just trimmed off some of that, some of that move. But it's a continued matter of rotation. Who's going to be the next leader in this market? And, and technically, uh, you also have Tesla. That's it's more of this consumer name. Amazon's a consumer name. Um, we don't have any exposure in consumer names other than Amazon. And those and are the now. only two ones you want. I mean, look, there's a reason why discretionary is, I think, still the third best sector on the year behind tech and comp services. It's because of Tesla, yeah. as, as, we, as we just said. And Amazon. And Amazon. And Amazon. Tesla and Amazon. And and in the case, everything else is like so spotty. Like, what are you what are you going to bet on there? Home builders, you know, you could buy some yeah, home, so builders. The home builders too. Yeah, right. Right. Fair point. Home and I'm not just well. some. I'm not just a growth manager. I'm a manager looking for alpha in the market. And right now, what I'm seeing, what our theme was this year was bring out your 2019 playbook. Even in May, we, we put a note out to clients: buy in May. This bull market is here to stay. We've been bullish, and so we're going to continue to play that theme. I have some levels that if Tesla were to reverse, we would we would manage and cut out of that position the same way, Joe. You 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 talk about moving. In and yep. names when they manage that risk. So I'm right now, this is a very tactical position. Um, I'm going to raise some additional cash in the portfolio from other parts of it. But uh, yeah, I like it right now. There, there is a little bit of a fundamental catalyst, though, to the move in Tesla today, because it is significant that both GM and Ford have now validated that Tesla is the premier charging station, and, and it really eliminates any competition. So yeah. the CCS, you could now put that to the sidelines. Um, the interesting thing about Tesla and the way that it trades when you study its price action and the, the quantitative nature of it is it trades with the highest correlation of S&P 500 stocks to commodities. It actually yes. trades like a commodity with that boom-bust cycle. And I think that's important for the viewers to understand that if you're getting into this name, you have to size the position accordingly because there's going to be extreme volatility in this name that has proven itself over the last several years. I don't think that's going anywhere. And that's where I started the conversation talking about copper. I'm watching copper. I think copper came, is coming out of the hole. And they, they, dis, they discorrelated recently. I think that, that comes back into fact. That could be a tailwind for Tesla at this point. But, but like you said, the charging station, this, this is everything coming to fruition that they have planned for. Then their manufacturing costs are going to start going lower. Their car prices are going to start going lower. It's, I mean, it's just really a terrific space right now. Why isn't Tesla in the Joe T? Didn't have the momentum. It had a yellow light. Green light was not turned on. 
um, you're well aware of the significant moves that, you know, it's quite, we're six weeks away from what we did at the end of April. And quite candidly, it's all rules-based, it's removing the emotion. And I don't know if instinctively, if I was just relying on pure Joe emotion and, and, and uh, instinct, Oh, if I, I would have made the oh, same, if I would have made the same moves that that strategy and the rules dictated that we made, going back into Nvidia, going back into Apple and Microsoft, making those types of moves, um, I, I don't want to. I don't want to use the word courageous, but those were difficult decisions to make, and thankfully, the emotion was removed because it's rules based, and that's where the quantitative. But how doesn't the rule? How doesn't the rule base around? How's the momentum gone in a name that's up 46% in a month since since then? That, uh, there was obvious momentum there. No. Um, so Tesla, from its November high, is down still down about 20, 40. It's down 22% from its 52-week high. It's, it's down, down 20%. Okay, but from its November high, it's down well over 40%, actually. So we're studying momentum on short and longer time frames. It's still down significantly. And at the end of April, you did not have the type of appreciation that we had. So at the end of July, we'll take a look at it. We'll see if a yellow light turns to green. Does valuation play a role in how you choose stocks to go into your, your ETF? It, it, it does from the perspective of, is the earnings growth sustainable over a 36-month period? And what is the trend in earnings and revenue growth over a 36-month period? Because Tesla's never been in the Joe T, right? Tesla was in the Joe T previously. When did you take it out? It was liquidated along with other mega caps when we had the tax loss harvesting. Oh, okay. So I, I, I really want to understand this. So mm -hmm. you removed it with the mega caps when you did. Correct. When you added the mega caps back in, this was one that didn't go back in. Correct. Um, Amazon, Alphabet, Tesla, they all had what we would term yellow lights. I got you. Is there a green light for you on that or no? Does it pay would, it, would it ever be? You own anything just personally that you don't manage? <laughs> no, no you everything wanna... has to, you don't own anything that doesn't pay a dividend? I wouldn't, inv I mean, if I was an investor in my strategy, I would want to make sure that I eat my own cooking. So. Oh, I understand that, but you might have a little play around fund too. Oh, because then I get emotional like Joe and I buy stocks on the way up and I don't want to do that. I want to make sure that I keep the emotion out of it. So Steph, you mentioned, I think you said financials. You think they're cheap. You think they have good earnings power. Bill, you bought Bank of America. Yes. Last week. Yes. Brian Moynihan, by the way, is going to be on the exchange on Monday. It's an exclusive 1 p.m. Don't want to miss that at any rate. Go ahead. Well, you know, I will admit, I mean, I've, we've, told, we've highlighted a lot of my great trades in the past two weeks, three weeks. But, you know, Bank of America was a bad trade for me. I, I bought this at the end of February. We had, really didn't have enough banking exposure. And then I sold it, you know, kind of quickly in, in March. I wanted to get back into this. And, and we don't have any bank exposure other than Morgan Stanley. I, so I bought a Tesla, but I also added a Bank of America. So I'm kind of evening things out. I, I do think that, that we're going to see the economy continue to have the soft landing or no landing for a bit. And I like where the banks are with these rates. And I think the curve itself, you know, people are talking about a, a, the continuing to invert, continue to flatten. But I think we'll find a, find some some momentum behind that. Steph, what do you think of this? I mean, less than nine times earnings. Nine times earnings, 0.9 times book. Gives you a 3% yield. It's very cheap. Um, it's been cheap for a while. But all the financials are cheap. And it's because of the yield curve, right? I mean, they're going to fight to go to have net interest income down 2%. That's going to be a victory for them sequentially. Yeah, yeah. And that's tough. Now, on the opposite side, heavy investments in technology. So there's that. Trading actually is better than expected. 
And I do think we have seen the market participation, which will help capital markets as well. Yes. Uh, I also own Morgan Stanley as well. But um, yeah, so I mean, it's cheap. I just don't know what the catalyst is given the yield curve, but I'm willing to be, be, be patient. What about the financials? I own JP Morgan and Goldman Sachs. I think all of the financials are going to be under a little bit of pressure because of the regulatory changes that we know are coming. It's going to affect profitability. So I like Bank of America because it has the investment side. I like the Morgan Stanley trade because of the investment side. We happen to own JP Morgan and Goldman, but I can see the validation of both of those. Okay. We'll take a quick break. Up next, we'll do our calls of the day, a stock that's doubled this year and just got added to City's focus list as they refresh that and double down, so to speak. Both Steph and Joe are in it. We trade it next. We're back on The Half in two minutes. Time for our calls of the day now. This was an interesting one, Steph. City took a look at their highest conviction call list, and they refreshed it. Meta is added, okay, for the second quarter at City. Price target 315. Stocks obviously had a huge run. They're not convinced, though, that it's tapped out. What do you think here about this call? Well, it's getting a lot of love recently, right? And last year, the stock was trading at 11 times forward estimates. Right now, it's at 21 times. So that's quite a re-rating. That being said, last year, it was a cost-cutting story, or we were hoping for a cost-cutting story. We got that. This year, it's also about now revenues actually improving. In the second half of the year, you could see double-digit growth. So I like the Facebook brand, um, the blue brand. Reels is actually monetizing nicely, $6 billion revenue run rate. Click-to-message is at $10 billion revenue run rate. So there are places in revenues that they actually can see an acceleration. Is, is it on the link highest conviction idealist? <laughs> well, I was trending it last week, right? We talked about it. Uh, actually, earlier this week, I think we talked about it. Every time I trim it, it keeps going higher. But so why bother? I think it's prudent to do so. It's had a really nice run, right? I mean, I, so I, I don't think that there's a lot. It's only up 120% year-to-date stuff. I know, I know. and But it was really got clocked last year, and you, you gave me... A lot of stuff for it. Um, but I, I, I think then I had more convi- con- conviction because it was so down and out and I could see the potential. But now there's a lot of good news reflected in. That being said, you're going to get 30% earnings growth, double digit revenues, and it's trading at 21 times. So I can still hang on to it. Joe, what about you? The quality has always been there for the company. The momentum reestablished itself. And now it seems as though management is executing on the Brad Gerstner playbook. They're doing the things that Brad uh, outlined in his letter. They are focused on cost efficiency. I haven't heard very much about the metaverse, thankfully. Mm -hmm. We're not talking about that on earnings uh, calls anymore. And it seems as though they're positioning themselves in the right way for the future. And I also just wonder with Apple now next year introducing the VR headset, what does that do for Meta in terms of their R&D, their spend, towards competing with Apple and putting forward a better product, which we know in the long term is going to be additive to earnings. All right, Microsoft is another call today. The target goes to 385 from 347. AI, they say the AI build continues. You own Microsoft bill as well. Yeah, I do. Yeah, I think we've had a lot of this tailwind from, from AI and, and we've enjoyed it. I think. <laughs> and so what I'm looking at is, is that's where I'm making these rotations. Microsoft is still probably, I think, number four in our portfolio as a size, but we're moving away from it a little bit. Big tech, though, from we look start looking out. It's going to continue to get bigger. I mean, from every aspect, you can look at like cybersecurity. Microsoft is, is offering cybersecurity and you're wondering who else's lunch are they going to eat? I mean, from really every aspect of this, I think we're going to see tech get bigger and bigger 
bigger and then sort of and sort of get the stranglehold different sectors. Adobe, Joe, upgraded to overweighted wells. Target goes to 525 from 420. AI. The AI debate continues to drive Adobe, they say. You own it in the Joe T. Well, thankful for the rules I own it in Joe T because I don't know that I would have bought it myself personally at the end of April. Um, this is one of the names that will be one of the winners in AI. And I think also CapEx and just the conceptually the contribution of CapEx, which you've talked a lot about in the last several years, and CapEx has been missing from the market. But CapEx will be resilient and permanent in AI and technology, and a company like Adobe is going to benefit from that. CrowdStrike, top pick at Piper Sandler, target 180. They don't mention AI, at least in the first two sentences that I have, but no doubt uh, it's probably in somewhere in the note. Uh, you own Adobe as well. Uh, right? I, I, own, I own Adobe. I also own CrowdStrike. Um, oh, I meant, I meant, what yeah. did I say? You, you, Adobe. you said Adobe. But for, for CrowdStrike, thankfully, by the way, um, look, CrowdStrike's been a disappointment relative to Palo Alto and Fortinet. Mm -hmm. Both of those names in cybersecurity have outperformed CrowdStrike. And the thesis for CrowdStrike, uh, which I've communicated, and I know Josh has as well in the network, is about market share capture. And we really have not seen that just yet. You did have a technical breakout in the last three weeks in this name. It's sustaining, to a certain extent, that technical breakout. It's not really accelerating very significantly. They are going to be a player in AI, but so is Palo Alto, and so is Fortinet. Well, Link, Stephanie Link has Fortinet. Fortinet's yeah. got the best balance sheet of the three. It does, and it also has a good it has a good product set, and they're gaining share on the enterprise. And you're seeing CTOs consolidate vendors, and that's why Palo Alto and Fortinet are doing so well, right? Maybe CrowdStrike can do too, um, but I just know that Fortinet, for the last several years, they've been working on their portfolio construction, and they can offer a lot more now as a result. So there's things: 30% total revenue growth and double-digit order growth. I mean, that's it's impressive. CrowdStrike is, is software. You talk about market share. So I just mentioned how Microsoft may move into this. They're going to get bigger and bigger in, in cybersecurity software. Palo Alto, known as more of a hardware company, is also building their software offering as well. So I find it very difficult. I have owned CrowdStrike last year at some points very tactically or a couple years ago, but I don't, I don't like it right now because of the potential of somebody eating its lunch and taking their market share. Netflix, real quick, uh, Joe. Uh, new street high, 535 at uh, Pivotal. Yeah, I mean, there's there's a little bit of chatter now about it potentially being an acquisition target. You know, Microsoft has been mentioned. I don't know if the reality of that is, in fact, uh, something that you want to own the stock for, but the, the crackdown on password is real. There's been a positive effect from that. There's also this reestablishment. Listen, a lot of the quantitative buying that's come into the market over the last several weeks is going specifically to where we're seeing breakouts, and Netflix is one of those companies, in addition to what you're seeing uh, in terms of improving fundamentals. Okay, let's get the headlines now with Courtney Reagan. Hey, Court. Hi, thank you, Scott. Here is our CNBC News update at this hour. Former President Donald Trump announced a shakeup in his legal team late this morning after he was indicted last night on seven counts in a classified document probe. He says a yet-to-be-announced firm and the same attorney representing him in his New York State criminal case will oversee the federal indictment. Two of the attorneys who resigned said it was an honor to have spent the last year defending him. 
Well, the man, the main suspect in the 2005 disappearance of U.S. teen Natalie Holloway was arraigned this morning in a federal court on charges of extortion and wire fraud. It's not clear yet what plea he entered. Joran Vandersloot is accused of lying to Holloway's mother, claiming he could lead her to Natalie's body in exchange for cash. Holloway's body has still never been found. And the White House says it has evidence Iran is helping Russia to help build a drone manufacturing plant that could be operational next year. Officials said Tehran provided hundreds of armed drones to Russia last month for the war in Ukraine. White House officials warned this latest partnership shows deepening military ties between the two countries. Scott, back over to you. Hey, Courtney, thank you. Courtney Reagan coming up. The retail trade, that sector is tracking for its best week since March. Kevin Simpson buying one big retailer. He'll tell you the name next. We're back. Retail pacing for its best week since late March. Kevin Simpson has a new move. Bought more Walmart. Already owned it. Bought more at $146. $146. Why'd you add to the position here? Well, again, just like the Coca-Cola trade, we were looking for a nice name in AI, so we thought, why not Walmart? The, um, the truth is, Scott, you're talking about the consumer potentially stepping down if we do go into a recession or an economic slowdown. And if the consumer does step up, step down, we think that Walmart can step up and fill that void. They have incredible revenues from their grocery side of things, which is very profitable. It's still got a little bit of a higher multiple than we might like, which is why we're layering into it over time. You get a 1.5% dividend, an okay dividend growth rate. But we're looking for defensive plays with lots of free cash flow. And again, if we can sidestep a recession, then all of these stocks that have done very, very little for two years can be the recipients of rising tides lifting all ships. Okay. Uh, modest dividend yield, 1.5%. Steph, do you like Target? over Walmart? Uh, I do. Uh, Target has some problems at the moment, um, but I do think that they still offer a very strong value proposition. They've done a, a really remarkable job on inventories. Uh, the inventories last quarter fell 16%, and two quarters prior to that, they were up 43%. So they've made amazing strides, and that's helped margins. I think freight costs are coming down as well, which is helping them, and labor uh, as well. So um, while I think they're going to have some traffic issues tied to the political situation, that's going on. Um, I think, though, long term, I mentioned the, the value proposition and the and the value at 15 times, and it's down 31 percent from its January highs. I mean, it's down 18 percent in a month. What huge. happens if if these headwinds don't go away well, anytime then, soon? Then the stock's not going. It's not going higher. That's How much sure. patience do you have to sit it's through a, that? It's a fairly small position for me. So, if anything, I might. If it goes down a lot more, I might actually buy more. If I can. I'm going to stay patient for the short term. I don't think that these issues are going to go away short term. Yeah. So that's why, um, you know, for the long term, though, there is going to be value at some point. I mean, I there's now. there's being, you know, re-rating on the street. Downgraded today at City. I know. They go to neutral from buy. They cut the price target considerably, too, from 177 to 130. This was a gem. And like 90% of the sell side had buys on it. Now only 50% of them have buys on it. Good calls by them to downgrade it. But I thought that the quarter was really solid. They're making progress. And again, as they fix these inventory issues, operating margins can expand in the second half of the year. And so I think that that will save them. Maybe the top line might be a little soft, but I think the margin side is going to be okay. Yeah. Uh, Ulta, Ulta Beauty, Joe. Hmm. Uh, top pick at UPS. Top idea coming out of the reporting season, they say. They like to pick... Uh 
stock's near the bottom. It's not a stock I could defend, and it's a stock that we do you like to buy high and sell higher. And this is not an example of that, that's for sure. I can't defend this name. There's 53 stocks in consumer discretionary. This is the sixth worst performer in consumer discretionary. It's a good company, though. It's a good company, great company. Momentum's broken. Um, and post-earnings, you had a significant decline in the stock, and there's been no bounce. What about Nike? Oh, okay. What about Nike? Go ahead on that. Steph, you want to help me with Target, that one? Do you Steph's, know Nike? Steph's going yes. next. Oh, I just like to. Target's at 135 for 145. Yeah, that's that's actually the ninth worst stock of the 53 in consumer discretionary. Right. And another name I really can't defend. I mean, Steph, look, it's a, you? it's a blue chip company, right? I mean, they've got great products. DTC is the story. It's now 27% of total revenues. It's going to be a $10 billion business for them, up from $3 billion pre-COVID. And so that's going to help margins as well. So, I mean, I... I I get the macro. I know people are not buying goods. They're going to services. I got it. But I mean, at some point, you got to you got to look for some opportunities. And this one trades, even though it's expensive, it trades at a historical discount to where its average is. So I'm sticking. I'm sticking with it. And not only that, but we got China, and I think China will recover at some point, and that will help them. We already said consumer discretionary, Tesla, Amazon, casinos, home builders. You like Olive Garden? You like Longhorn Steak? Darden. Because that's Darden, and that has been remarkable. It's been an outlier. They recently acquired Ruth Chris to stock the trades at a reasonable valuation, and it stands out amongst the rest. Okay. Uh, we'll take a quick break. We'll come back. Mike Santoli is joining us next uh, with his midday word. We're right across the board. Dow's down by about 12. As you see, the S&P 500 still below 4,300. NASDAQ under a little bit of pressure, too. We're back. Uh, actually, S&P's flat. NASDAQ is a couple points higher. We're back right after this. We're back. Senior markets commentator Mike Santoli joining us with his midday word. I guess the midday word is bull market not so fast. Right. Well, multiple things can be true at once, Scott, as we know. I mean, the bull market, first of all, we wake up to these declarations that somehow the switch has been flipped and it's a bull market. But if that's true, what it actually means is the process has been underway for eight months. And the benefit of the doubt has been migrating toward the optimist for a while, but it's had to prove it. Uh, and I think that it's interesting that the moment that we do have a lot of attention on the fact that maybe we can call this a bull market, if that's helpful to do so, you have the S&P kind of overbought kind of at the old you know, resistance level, that August ceiling, going into a Fed week, going into uh, options expiration week. So there's all kinds of reasons why you know, we should probably maybe take a breather and stall out, especially with the biggest stocks. So a lot of improvement in breath over the last week or so, but it's only a week and it's only partial. So I, I think that a 3% pullback, up to a 3% pullback in the S&P is perfectly normal, maybe should be even desired uh, if you want to see this trend refresh itself. I mean, that's why we say, OK, technically it's a, bear, a bull market. You're 20% off of the, the low. But is it really? Is it really? Yeah. It's I certainly, mean, I don't know if it necessarily feels like, like it is. Right. But what is it supposed to feel like? I mean, we haven't made a new high in almost a year and a half. So I guess on that measure, it doesn't. We still feel as if it's it's a when and not if uh, that we get a recession, whether that's true or not. That's the general sentiment. And, um, you know, I go back to 2019 where we had this similar mode of we dodged a bullet. We had a 20 percent decline. It still feels like we are kind of the, the sands are going through the hourglass for the cycle. It seems like just a few stocks participating. And yet you had a low volume, low volume 
volatility, kind of a uptrend for most of that year, and only COVID brought the recession on. So it, 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 things can stay ambiguous for a long period of time. Mm-hmm. I think the market is, has earned at least a little bit of the benefit of the doubt. The, the risk is that you, by the time you wake up and are ready to admit that it's a bull market, the train has left the yeah. station by, by some stops. No, then it wasn't one. Yeah, yeah. I'll see you in a little yeah. bit. That's Mike Santoli. He'll join us on Closing Bell, of course. Great by Trades coming up next. Grade my trade time. Uh, Joe, you're up first from Bob Uber. Bought it at $36.50. Should I buy more? Not enough of a profit. I'm bullish Uber. I'm long Uber, but I'm not Uber bullish. Okay. Clever. I got you. Uh, (laughs) Stephanie Link from Kurt in Georgia, Cleveland Cliffs. Where's Jim? Uh, I bought Leventhal. I bought 4,000 shares of (laughs) Cleveland Cliffs at $15 last year. I'm hoping it will climb back up to 25. Do you think my price target is too high? I do. Um, I think it's a good story. I think it's a very cheap stock at eight times earnings, seven times EBITDA. It's tied to the auto cycle where they have pricing power. Uh, and they also it's also an onshoring <coughs> theme story. And they're doing a really good job with their balance sheet. But it's a value stock and growth right now. And momentum is actually working. But I think if you have patience, long term, I think it's going to be higher. Does it get to your target? I don't know. I don't think so. OK, uh, Bill from Hal in Canada bought Amazon at 124 bucks. Should I buy, sell or hold? I like Amazon. I wouldn't dump it right now. I mean, the e-commerce business, but really the thing is AWS and advertising are growing really fast. And 118 to 120 is what I'm watching. We get through next week with the Fed. It's not above 118, 120. I might increase my position. All right, Kevin, lastly uh, to you from Christopher bought Merck at 109. Can you grade the trade? Yeah, I'd have to give that an A. First of all, we own the stock. It's off from a 120 high pays over a 2.5% dividend. They've been growing that dividend at about 7% per year for the past three years. I like the stock. Great name. And if it was me, I'd look at a 115 or a 120 call for July. The 115s are paying $1.30. P.S. The stock goes X next week and you bring in 73 cents on the dividend. All right. Good stuff. So you get a trade as well. Uh, final trades, speaking of, are coming up next. But first, as we head to break, it is that time of year when the networks across NBC News shine a light on people who are inspiring America. This weekend, people like LeBron James, Reba McIntyre, and others will be featured in a network special airing on Saturday and Sunday. Here's NBC's Hoda Kotb talking to actress Eva Longoria about her passion for helping others. A lot of people who get to the top of the mountain are happy and they just pack their bags and go, you're like, you're coming up here with me. Yeah. I want you to come up here with me. Yeah, I mean, you know, you can't just keep moving forward by yourself. You've got to look back and you've got to say, who, who, who else is behind me? Keep the door open. Let everybody in. We're back. I want to squeeze in another call for you, Joe. UBS on gold. They say it can overcome near-term headwinds. You own the GLD. I do. What do we think about gold here? Um, not specifically too excited about it, quite candidly. Uh, I'd like to see more of a deflationary catalyst on gold. You had that in the month of March. It seems to be waning. Yields are rising once again. I wouldn't be in the miners. I'm in the precious metal itself. I'm not very excited about it. Would you say you going to sell this? No. You sound like you're uh, upset. <laughs> you sure you're okay? I'm good. I'm good. It's Friday. I'm happy. If it holds that above okay. 1900, that's the previous high going back to 2011. You got to hold that, be long gold, and your portfolio have some exposure. But if it surrenders 1900 after the Fed and they hike or something, then you got to be very cautious. You got that? I got that. All right, good. We'll come back with final <laughs> trades next. <laughs> 
All right, three o'clock Eastern time. There he is. Got a new headshot. <laughs> Tom Lee's coming on closing bell today. Our resident bull. He'll tell us if he thinks this is a bull market. I mean, I know you know the answer, but we're going to press him on whether it really is a bull market. S&P's trying to hang on to 4,300. Kevin Gordon of Schwab's going to join me as well. Victoria Fernandez, too. Hope you'll join me in a couple hours, 3 o'clock Eastern time. Let's do final trades. Kevin Simpson, it's been good having you here for the whole hour. What do you have for us? Thanks for having me. We talked about earlier 3% dividend, lots of free cash flow, Coca-Cola. Uber, autonomous, 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 and multi-revenue multi streams long above $36. Wendy's, really good quarter from them a month ago. 7% U.S. comps, 14% international comps. And they're, they're, they have pricing power of 7%. Costs are coming down. Operating leverage galore. The stock's flat on the year. I like it. I'm going to give this name because I want Steph's approval. It's an industrial name. Okay. W.W. Granger trades at 21 times. 80% U.S. revenue exposure. This is a company the last 36 months that has delivered double-digit revenue growth. Do you have an opinion of that, Steph? It's a very we good. We talk about industrials. It's a very good management team, really good balance sheet, and it's onshoring, right? So you yep. have a couple of good things going there. All right. So we'll watch the market, and uh, I will see you on closing bell. Dow right now is fighting for green. Uh, so is the S&P. After hitting it, uh, sitting right at, at 4,300. Technically, we had entered a, a, a bull market. The debate continues as to whether we truly are in a new bull market. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. All opinions expressed by the Halftime Report participants are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of CNBC, NBC Universal, their parent company or affiliates, and may have been previously disseminated by them on television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed on this podcast as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of an opinion. Such opinions are based upon information the Halftime Report participants consider reliable, but neither CNBC nor its affiliates and or subsidiaries warrant its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Halftime Report disclaimer, please visit cnbc.com forward slash Halftime Report Disclaimer.